Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 427. Today is September 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, I've been silent the last couple weeks, and it isn't because I was busy or lazy. I really just didn't have anything to say. But you know, I've just been sitting back, enjoying watching the market smolder, and really just sitting back, watching to see how bad things get. The realization of higher rates for longer is finally setting into the market. Now, we have to be careful here. I don't want to make any big assumptions that we're finally going to get a recession that I've been thinking should have happened, you know, six months ago. And the reason I say that is because there's no certainty because we don't know what the Federal Reserve will do tomorrow. They could literally come out and cut rates and that could put a floor underneath the downturn. On the other hand, I don't think that's going to happen. But again, we can't be sure. But assuming that they are going to hold rates for longer, which I think they will, and I think they'll do that because the unemployment has just been too low. We've had a relentlessly strong job market. A lot of this does have to do what I talked about way back in May of 2022 about global choke points and how unlike the 1970s when we in the United States got hit with the Arab oil embargo and it caused a major recession for about a decade with huge inflation and a major loss of jobs that really escalated at that point and started going overseas. Well, that energy crisis has pretty much been spared the U.S. in the current crisis that the world's going through. Europe's seeing those factors because they relied so heavily on Russian oil and natural gas. But in that video that I put out way back in May of 2022, I talked about the three things that were going to constrict global trade or the global economy. And all three of those things were actually positive for the U.S. because we are major producers and exporters of those products. That's energy, agriculture, and weapon systems. Right now, oil prices and gasoline prices are going back up again. That's hurting U.S. consumers. But at the same time, that's very beneficial for elements of the U.S. economy particularly those involved in oil production and refining, because the United States is back to world record levels of production. I think we're over 13 million barrels a day. That's one of these paradoxes about the strength of the U.S. and particularly the North American economy that so many people miss when they focus on the gloom and doom about the decline of America and the rise of the BRICS nations, and the loss of the U.S. dollar as a global currency. Well, you know, again, check the scorecard. While a lot's been down over the last two months, the U.S. dollar isn't one of them. Since July, the U.S. dollar's up some 5 or 6%, and it's pretty much sitting in the mid-range of where it's been over the last year, which is at among the highest levels that it's been in 20 years. Ah, but I digress. Let's talk about the losers on Wall Street. The markets, and specifically the S&P 500, are getting ready to close out the third quarter down the last two months. And looks like it's headed to be down significantly this month. Now, being down two consecutive months in a row is significant. Because if you go back over the last three years, just post-pandemic, not taking out the February and March of 2020 downs in the S&P 500, but if you eliminate those then the S&P 500 has only been down four times in back-to-back two consecutive months. 
and the most recent time other than where we are right now was about this exact same time last year. It was August and September of last year. We saw back-to-back downward months in the S&P 500. Again, that's significant because remember all the sheer panic and and gloom and doom predictions that we heard, you know, what is it, six months ago or so back in March when we had three of about 4,000 banks that failed and the hysteria got hyped up. Well, even during that depressant state of the market, we didn't see back-to-back monthly declines in the S&P 500. So again, this is significant. We'll see how long it lasts. I continue to believe that based on corporate earnings, which incidentally have stabilized here, we'll see we, we may not get as abrupt of a decline as I was anticipating for this year. That may carry over at least in the early next year. But we are seeing corporate profits, the decline at least stabilize. Of course, Wall Street is projecting 12% increases next year. Again, we'll see how that plays out in the second half of the year. But I think between now and early 2024, it's going to be very rough on corporate profits because while supply chains and a lot of goods and material costs may have moderated, what hits the bottom line of corporations the hardest is the cost of capital and the cost of labor. Neither one of those look like they're going down. Yet, incidentally, ask the big three automakers how labor costs are going for them right now. And of those two factors, labor cost and cost of capital, the only thing that we can really do anything directly about is the cost of capital. And for now, again, the Federal Reserve is claiming that they're going to keep rates higher for longer. And they're doing that specifically to try and cap and put controls on those labor costs. But so far, that is not working. And that's really thrown off the modeling at the Federal Reserve. Again, I'm not going to forecast what happens because I have no idea, but let's look at what has happened. The S&P 500, based on the standard market cap weighted version that everybody talks about, has now broken down below its 100-day moving average. It hasn't done that since the banking crisis in March earlier this year. Breaking below the 100-day moving average is significant, especially in the case we're in right now because the 200-day moving average isn't that far below. And it was only in the euphoria of the banking system not collapsing, which it was never in danger of, and then piling onto that the artificial rally around artificial intelligence that lifted the S&P 500 above its 200-day moving average back around April of this year. And that was the first time the S&P 500 had broken out from a decline below its 200-day moving average going all the way back to when it first broke that level in February of 2022. So what we could be looking at is a failed breakout from the bear market that started in late 2021 or early 2022. That's what I've been expecting. That's what I would have saw earlier this year. And so maybe we're seeing a delay in the decline in the market. Pull up a chart. It looks pretty ugly. Hey, but wait, there's more. If you look at the S&P 500, broadly speaking where we look at the index on an equal weight basis instead of a market cap basis, which again is the best broad indicator of what's going on across those 500 companies that make up the S&P 500, then we're already significantly, and I mean significantly, below the 200-day moving average. Now, again, for those of you that are new, the 200-day moving average is essentially the rolling average over the last 12 months. 
So had you been dollar cost averaging into the S&P 500 over the last year, then you've lost money because we're well below that right now. In fact, on an equal weight basis, if you draw a horizontal line across that chart, the equal weight S&P 500 value is about where it was in March of 2021. So if you were in the market in March of 2021 and you've bought and held through now, then effectively you've seen no price appreciation. But it gets worse. Again, looking at the S&P 500 on an equal weight basis, the long-term moving average, which is around 1,000 days or maybe about a four-year moving average, that index only needs to drop about 4% to get to that level. That is an extremely, extremely tight tripwire to indicate a major meltdown in any index. And it's a rare, rare occurrence that we ever get that low. Last year, about this time, when the markets were melting down, we came close but still hovered above that level. In the last 20 or so years, that level has only been breached, I think, twice. Well, three times. The most recent one, I really don't count that much because it was the pandemic collapse, which wasn't natural, was caused because governments around the world shut down the economy. So that was artificial in my regards. But over the last 20 or so years, more than 20 years, the only time we've seen that bridged would have been these three times. That's the pandemic, the housing financial crisis of 2008, 2009, and the dot-com bubble, which extended you know, from around 2000 through into 2002, 2003. So it's a rare occurrence when an index like the S&P 500 or the S&P 500 equal weight drops down below that level. And we're only about four percentage points from that level. And to show you what a trigger hair we're on, that index has dropped over 3%, about 3.3% this week alone. So when markets deteriorate, they often deteriorate rapidly. Right? The old saying on Wall Street, stocks take the stairs up and the elevator down. Now, I've been putting the emphasis on the S&P 500, but it's the same or worse in all the other indices. If you look at the Dow Jones, it's well below its 100 and even worse off than the S&P 500. It's just barely, and I mean just barely above its 200-day moving average. And what's concerning about the Dow is that that's considered to be the big, stable, stodgy, dividend-paying companies. And although I love dividend-paying stocks... I've totally sold out of all mine this year. Other than Verizon and those energy stocks I'm, uh, that I'm holding, I have no dividend-paying stocks. And the reason for that is they're going down. And that's not the case in money market funds. In money market funds, you can make over 5% and have no risk from the markets and no risk to your principal from any escalation we may or may not see in interest rates. And that's something you don't get in dividend-paying stocks. You don't get it being broadly invested in the S&P 500 or any of the indices. And you don't even get it in bonds. Uh, we'll get to bonds in a second here. But it's looking like, you know, bonds that are considered safe, we're probably going to see three consecutive years of losses in long-term bonds. If we have time, I'll get to that in a second here. But let's, let's look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is considered to be old, stodgy, stable companies. This week, Intel was down almost 10% just this week. Dow the company, Dow Chemical, not the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but Dow Chemical was down almost 7% just 
just this week. American Express, over 6.5%. Walgreens, you know, Walgreens, a normally stable, consumer defensive type retailer that sells, you know, drugs and pharmaceuticals and convenience store type application, a, a company that's normally considered to be very stable, down almost 6% this week, just this week alone. And they've had a bad year. A year to date, Walgreens is down over 40%. The retailers are having a horrible year. And that's even these defensive retailers that earlier in the year we were told, oh, well, the consumers, especially the low-end consumers, will be frequenting the discounting retailers. And so you'll be safe there. Well, that's not the case. Again, maybe we'll get to that in a second. But let's look at something like Nike, which is always everybody's favorite on Wall Street. It had done extremely well when the government was handing out all kind of stimulus money during the pandemic. Well, Nike is down over 5.5% this week alone, and year-to-date, over 22%. They're down, right? I can go on. Home Depot down almost 5%. Cisco down almost 4.5%. The beloved Microsoft, with all the hype around artificial intelligence, is down 4% this week. They're down almost 5.5% for the quarter. And then, of course, there's companies like Disney and Target, which have totally self-inflicted wounds upon themselves. You know, over the last 12 months, Disney is down over 22%. Target, which isn't a Dow component, but is a component of the S&P 500, over the last 12 months has lost nearly 30%. And while it's undisputable that Target's decline is mostly self-inflicted, the retail sector is disastrous with the exception of I don't even think a handful of companies. I mean, Walmart is definitely faring the best. Amazon's holding up. Uh, perhaps you can argue that Costco's doing okay. But just about all the other retailers, and specifically the low-end retailers, are doing horrible. And I want to point this out because, again, earlier in the year, when prognosticators were convinced that we were headed to a recession, many of them touted the fact that there was safety in these discounted retailers because, you know, people would downgrade from shopping at, you know, Nordstrom's or something and go to Five Below or some dollar store. Um, that was the mantra anyways. And, and so investors were encouraged to pile into these stocks. Well, you know what? They're doing horribly. These deep discounters that were supposedly safe harbors in the recession storm are down anywhere from more than 25% to as much as 70%. That's companies like Dollar Tree down 26%. Dollar General down 55%. Big Lots down almost 74%. Uh, those are over the last 12 months. A company like Five Below has actually fared better over the last 12 months, but just in the last six months, it's down close to 26%. Now, these companies, Dollar General specifically, has said that they're losing their customers to things like food banks and soup kitchens. I mean, that's how bad the economy is hitting the lower end of income earners. And remember, the Federal Reserve is not yet ready to cut interest rates. They want to drive up unemployment to get the overall cost of labor at least stable, if not down, so then they can reduce interest rates, which would lower the cost of capital. So this downward cycle, in my opinion, is not yet over. And it's not just the retailers. Again, looking at the S&P 500, big names. This quarter, Apple was down over 6%. 
Microsoft over the quarter is down over 5%. Google this week alone is down over 5%. Amazon this week down over 8%. NVIDIA this past month, although they've been flying high this past month though, if you bought into them recently, they're down almost 12%. Tesla this week alone down almost 11%. So whether you're looking at the supposedly very stable dividend-paying Dow Jones Industrial Average or the big large-cap companies on the S&P 500, whether you look at it from a market cap or an equal weight basis, the indices are in trouble. And you get down into the smaller companies and things are even much worse. Mid-cap stocks trading well below their 200-day moving average and really only about 5% from the lows that we saw back during the banking crisis earlier this year. Small caps are even lower below their 200-day moving average, and probably only maybe not even 3% away from the lows that they put in during the banking crisis. And that, incidentally, was only slightly above the lows that they put in back during the meltdown of late last year. If you pull up a chart of the Russell 2000, the small caps, and, and in fact, I would encourage you to do this. It's been in decline since it peaked, I believe, in November of 2021. So we're going on almost two full years. And if you look at that chart, you'll see that it has had multiple failed recoveries. But in the past year, every time it's failed at about the 2000 level, it was around 2000 on that index that it's failed. It failed there at the breakout in August of 2022. It failed there in the breakout earlier this year in February. And it failed at that point earlier this summer around the end of July, beginning of June, when the AI hysteria and some of the concern over the banks was fading. It got to that level, but again, it failed. It lost three times at that level and that's the 2000 level. It peaked back in, you know, late 2021 at almost, uh, I think it was 2500. So significantly off its peaks and consistently failing at that 2000 level. And right now it's only sitting around 1776. Well, hey, and 1776 has kind of a historic ring to it, doesn't it? But more importantly than that coincidence, again, pull up a long-term chart. And you'll see that way back pre-pandemic, going back a full five years from where we are right now, the small caps were at about 1730. So this is another example where if you have bought and held the small cap stocks over the last five years, you're a little bit better than flat. And it looks like we're headed lower. Now, I've been talking about stocks and the stock indices. I could talk just about as badly in terms of commodities. Really, oil and a couple other commodities are the only ones that are holding up. I think it's oil. Uh, last time I checked, uranium and lead, I think we're really the only commodities that are doing pretty well. And oil is totally artificial. If it wasn't for the fact that Saudi Arabia is cutting production, then we would see oil prices, you know, would have to be at least 25% lower than they are right now. So we'll see how long the Saudis do hold out. But in terms of the overall commodity market, it is maybe a little bit better in recent performance compared to the securities markets. But at the same time, the commodities have not seen the bounce over the last, say, eight months that a lot of these stocks did. 
So for the most part, materials have been flat. And if you've listened to some talking heads, I've, I've heard some of the gloom and doomers really talking up the commodity super cycle. And it's not that I don't agree that that may be coming, but it's not happening right now. The big increases they're talking about, I think that's as artificial as artificial intelligence. Go pull up a chart of copper, aluminum, zinc, you know, these industrial metals. I think what you can say at best is that they've stopped declining. And maybe they're found a bottom and coming off that bottom, but they certainly have not broken out yet. Again, with the exception of maybe like a uranium. Hey, I'm running out of time here. I got to go watch my grandkids play soccer. But let me end on this note. It's not just commodities that are down. It's not just stocks that are down. It continues to be bonds. And I want to stress this because I've talked about this many times over the years. I tried to get across the message that bond funds are not safe. Even though they're pitched that way on Wall Street, it's a myth. Whenever interest rates go up, the principal on bonds goes down, and that means the price of your bond fund will go down. People seem surprised every time this happens. Again, because they're pitched on this myth, they're sold this myth that bonds are safe. They're not. It's a reason that I have not jumped into bonds at this point. I'm still waiting until we get to where we can be convinced that rates are going down because the corollary of that is when rates go down, the principal value of bond funds go up. But we're not there yet, despite what many people have been telling you about buying bonds. You know, non-coincidentally, those are the same people that sell bonds for a living. But look at something like the 20-year treasury. Again, we're looking at probably the third year of losses for that. This year alone, it's lost over 15%. And that's not just a super long-dated bonds. If you look at kind of the the mid-range bonds from, uh, you know, 7 to 10 years, an index of that bond fund is down almost 6% year to date. And in fact, since interest rates have gone up so much recently, just in the last six months, you would have lost close to 7.5%. Now, my message here is not one of gloom and doom. My message is be patient and be prepared and be ready to pounce because the economy, in the U.S. anyways, is not going to collapse. What's going to happen, I believe, and maybe I hope, will be that we do get this long-awaited recession. We'll see a pullback in the stock market over these next, you know, couple weeks to maybe three to six months. Certainly, I think things will start to get resolved by spring of next year. But that's not a catastrophe. That's something to take advantage of. Position yourself now, if you're not already there, to have dry powder to be ready to go in and buy quality stocks that are on sale and selling at a discount. And in the meantime, for the first time in much more than a decade, probably over 15 years, closer to 20 years, for the first time, you are getting paid significant real rates for simply sitting in a cash money market fund. I would urge you to take a look at the situation and consider what I'm doing, which is just patiently waiting, sitting in money market funds, and being prepared to pounce when the opportunity arrives. Wait, will I be able to pull it off? I have no idea. I can't predict the future. We'll have to wait and see what happens. And until then, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.